All right. Did everyone get their shoes back? Um, I'm not sure what happened. I think uh, someone's shoes got raptured or something from somebody. Um, I'm not sure who's responsible for that, but it sounds like a Weber. If I was going to guess, that's who I would guess. But I don't know. I could be wrong. Um, hey, who's got my keys, by the way? I have my keys floating around. Bobby, you still have those? Can you chuck them? Feel that catch? One-handed, left-handed, I'm right-handed. Um, can you guys turn my mic down just a little bit? There we go. I feel like I'm yelling at you guys this morning. That will, the yelling part will come later, but not right now. Uh, okay, we've been looking at this concept, God's glory and your joy, and how the two are tied together, how they're very intricately tied together. Uh, we talked about how God, what it, means, what it means to glorify God means that you magnify God, that you make Him known, that you take something great and you show the world, you display that before the world, who God really is, the truth about God. Glorify God. Also talked about how our joy is wrapped up in glorifying God. Most Christians think that to glorify God means you have to do it at the expense of your joy. In other words, that if you're going to glorify God, you just kind of obey Him. That there's no joy in that. And we miss this really profound spiritual truth that God's glory and our joy are, are really tied together. In fact, one person uh, who wrote a book called Don't Waste Your Life said, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in Him. In fact, it's when you start to see God as the source of your joy, that's when you start to glorify Him in the way that He was meant to be glorified. The two are tied together. You see, um, a few weeks ago we asked the question, we asked you guys, what are some of the big questions that you have about life? What are some of the big questions that you would ask God if you could ask Him face to face? And one of the questions that many of you said was, you would ask Him, God, why is there suffering? Why is there pain? Why, why do people have to suffer in this life? And we're going to touch on that topic this morning, uh, but if I just answered that question, if I just told you why people suffer, I'm not sure that if you get struck with cancer tomorrow, that the answer to that question would be enough. I'm not sure that if you had to suffer in some great way tomorrow, that just having an answer for that question would be enough for you to get through it. And so we're going to look at a bigger question this morning. We're going to ask a different question. We're going to ask the question, how will you live in the midst of suffering? How should you live in the midst of suffering? Because here's the truth. Suffering will happen. I don't have to tell you guys that. You guys know this. There are broken homes in this room. There are broken relationships in this room. There is, there is disease in the families that you're a part of. You know suffering will happen. You've seen it happen in your own life. And if it hasn't happened on a grand scale in your life yet, you know that it will by the stories around you. So the question is, will you waste your suffering? Will you waste the suffering that God brings your way, whatever it might look like? Uh, I mentioned a few weeks ago how I love to look at songs and the messages of certain songs. Anybody here a big Mute Math fan? You like the band Mute Math? I mean, everyone. Wow, look at that. There's like three of you. Uh, anyone here ever heard of Mute Math? 
Okay, about five more of you. Uh, but we're going to play at least part of one of their songs called Chaos. Go ahead and play this song. You love the song. So I want you to discuss at your tables what messages do you see in this song. Go ahead and discuss. Okay, what are some of the messages that you see in this song? Give me some give me some help. What is he saying? Without just repeating the words of the song. Yes. Okay. Delane said that, that God is this unchanging force. The funny thing about this band is I've, I've heard they're a Christian band. I don't know if they really are or not. But, uh, but if... If they were, it's funny how Christians always read into lyrics, you know? Like, I saw it and thought, yeah, it's maybe about God, you know? It may not be, I don't know. But we can get, we could definitely have an application here, I think, about God in the midst of that. It's probably about a girl. You think? Maybe. 
But I'll let you guys, you can, you can read your Christian stuff into it. That's what I'm doing for the purpose of this talk, so it's okay. Alright? It's okay. What else? What else did you see? Okay, our pride. When everything is breaking down, we won't humble ourselves. That's good. What else? Davis. What's that? Okay, cling to Jesus whenever the world is chaotic. Okay. Good. Anything else? Hey, you don't speak for him. Do you have one? Okay, so when you're living a chaotic life, you feel like you want to collapse? I'm putting words in your mouth now, so yeah. Just nod your head and say yeah. <laughs> Good. What else? Yes. Okay. That while you're in the midst of chaos, perhaps chaos is the most important part. Not the most important part. I misspoke, sorry. Um, I like what, one element I like about the song is that it, it talks about uh, you stay true when my world is false. When everything around me seems false, and I see it as false, you stay true. You're the only thing that's, that's truth to me. Uh, I want you to think about this question. Is it possible that suffering lets us see Christ more clearly? Is it possible that suffering might be the only thing that lets us see Christ more clearly? Is it possible that that suffering reveals what is true and what is false? That we're living in this world that has lots of things that sort of prop us up, they prop up our happiness, and yet when they're stripped away, that that's when the truth of who God is can really come forth in your life. You know, I think uh, Paul knew this truth all too well in Philippians chapter 1. Go ahead and turn your Bibles if you have them with you. Philippians chapter 1, verse 19. Paul is in prison of some kind. We're not sure what kind of prison he was in. It could have been house arrest, uh, where they put like a fever on your ankle. If you leave the house, you get zapped. Not sure if they had that back then, but possibly. Philippians 1, uh, verse 19. And Paul's talking about his trial, his suffering. He says, Yes, and I will continue to rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help given by the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. So Paul is in some kind of prison or house arrest, and he's suffering because of his faith. He's suffering because of his faith. He was arrested because he was witnessing and evangelizing and spreading the gospel. He is suffering for doing what's right. Most of us walk through life and we get mad at God for just suffering. But but Paul is suffering for doing the exact right thing. Making his suffering all the more difficult. If you can ever think of a time in your life when you've done the exact right thing and you suffer for it, if anyone had a right to shake their fist at God, Paul would have a good case. 
Look at verse 20. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Two questions for your tables. What does Paul mean by the phrase to die is gain? And secondly, how difficult is it for you to see death and suffering as gain? Discuss. Now, there's a lot of you guys in here, of course, that, that grew up in the church. A lot of you grew up in the church, and you know sort of the easy answer for this deal, to die is gain. It's, it's, pretty, it's pretty obvious that, that when Paul is thinking about the afterlife, thinking about the life after this one, that he's seeing that as gain. That's not hard for us to make that jump, right? But the question I want to know is, how many of you really believe that? How many of you really believe that it's that death is gain? How many of you really believe that the life after this one, which is really your real life, is going to be better than this one? Because I'll tell you, it's 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 really easy to intellectually say that, isn't it? It's really easy when someone asks you about your faith to say, yes, I believe there's going to be a better life after this one. But whenever you're faced with the reality of death, fear sets in and you go, wait a second, do I really believe this? Is this really the way things are? Is that life my real life? What I was really made for? And so it's easy for us to read that and explain it, but how many of us really truly believe that? Because my guess would be that most of you don't think about heaven a whole lot. That most of you don't probably sit there and go, man, I can't wait till we get to heaven and we can just praise Jesus all day long and, and sing songs. It'll be like one big long church service where you never get to eat and you're starving and you're bored out of your mind and you're getting hungry. Does that sound like fun? And most people have this view of heaven. Or if that's not your view of heaven, maybe your view of heaven is just that you get a bunch of really cool stuff. That when you were a kid, someone said, yes, streets of gold, mansions, you get to wear a crown, you get eternal rewards. And this all sounds really good to a five-year-old. Yeah, I'll sign up somewhere to sign. I'll put my name on the dotted line. But if that's your view of heaven, you're totally missing it. Because heaven does not mean just more things. Heaven does not mean just more stuff. Because you know, that stuff doesn't fulfill in this life. How is more of that going to fulfill in the next life? So what makes heaven heaven is the presence of Christ. But that is still something that we really can't grasp in this earth. We have a hard time understanding that, yes, just to be in Christ's presence is what makes heaven, heaven. It's not the stuff. You know, when I think about uh, this verse, uh, today is gain, is it possible that, that the greatest loss you can imagine is probably death, whether it be your own life or someone that you love? Is it possible that our, what seems like our greatest loss is really our greatest gain? 
is it possible that what seems like is, is the worst possible thing that could happen to you or your family might be your greatest gain? And I ask this question not just about death, but also about suffering. You might say, okay, Dave, we, we get that. We understand that when we die as a Christian, we go and we spend eternity with Christ in His presence. That's a great thing. But still, explain to me this thing about suffering. What's the deal with suffering in this life? The day-to-day suffering. I understand death and all that, but what about suffering in my life right now? Paul can still speak to us on this because the Christian life, I think, is full of many deaths. You guys experience this. You've you've got hope for certain things. You want certain things to happen. You want certain comforts. And when you suffer, it's God stripping those things away. And in a sense, those things are like little deaths to you as a Christian. Because there's something I think we can can say about suffering, and it's this. Suffering reveals our idols. Suffering reveals what we value more than Christ. Because as God is is, is stripping you of the things that you value more than Him, and and your hands are grasping onto those things, you're you're faced with a decision. Am I going to value Christ more than I value his things. Am I going to try joy? Am I going to try to find joy and fulfillment in the things that he gives me, or in him himself? I mean, here's the deal. Like, let's think. Let's be honest. I mean, this this life can bring us lots of joy, lots of comfort, right? If if God's gifts to us bring us this much joy and this much comfort, then how much greater? can the joy and comfort be that He gives us Himself? If if His gifts are that incredible and that great, then how much greater can He be? How much greater is He, the giver of those gifts? You see, when everything in life is stripped away except for God, we, we can cling to Him and we can call it gain. I think I've shared this with you before, but uh, probably one of the hardest times of my life was just after college. Uh, I, I finished college, a relationship that I was in had ended, and uh, I was kind of left with, okay, God, now what? what? What do you have for me now? I have no job, I have no relationship, my friends were kind of dispersing, and it really was a very difficult time for me. I would sit there in my room and just, you know, pray and and, and journal and all the things that, that you reflect about in life. I would, I would spend time doing those things. I had nowhere to turn. But it was in that time where I literally felt like I was in this net. Like God was sort of just carrying me along in the midst of that. And I will tell you that the sweetest times that I had spiritually was in the midst of those trials and that suffering. I feel like God showed up in my life in a way that I did not know before. And even in the midst of the sadness and the suffering, there was a joy that I experienced that that I honestly can't say I've had since then. You know, I think many Christians, uh, we tend to run from pain. We tend to find um, other coping mechanisms. You know what those things are? We turn to other things besides Christ to cope with our pain. We run from it. 
we're going to look at a verse here. Uh, Jessica, go ahead and skip the next slide. Skip that one question. We're going to go to Hebrews 13. Jesus did not run from pain in any way. He, he was one who, for the joy set before him, actually went to the cross for you to suffer and die for you. And Hebrews 13 uh, talks about this. Hebrews 13, uh, verses 12 to 14 says, And so Jesus also suffered outside the city gate to make the people holy through his own blood. Let us then go to him outside the camp, bearing the disgrace he bore, for here we do not have an enduring city, but we are looking for the city that is to come. You see, Jesus was sacrificed in the same way as an animal was in the Old Testament, except Jesus was treated far worse. Whenever they would sacrifice an animal for their sins in the Old Testament, they would treat the animal fairly well. It had to be unblemished up until the time of the sacrifice. Once they sacrificed it, it actually died a fairly quick, a fairly quick death. They slit its throat, let it bleed out as a sacrifice to God for their sins. But the Bible tells us that Jesus was tortured, he was beaten, he was agonized, he was tortured on a cross. A much worse death than what an Old Testament animal experienced. And verse 13 means that we should imitate his response to suffering. Not that you and I seek out suffering and you, you have to go and like, you know, beat yourself with a rod, you know, to try to make yourself more pious and more spiritual. Some religions do believe that, by the way. But it, it means that you don't seek out suffering, but that when suffering comes your way, that you imitate Christ in His suffering. You see, Christ, Christ in His suffering, He redeemed you, He saved you, He restored you, so that when you suffer, you can magnify Him. So, so that when you suffer, when you go through those times of life, when you do suffer, you can make His name known. And so as we think about the purpose of suffering, there's another song that I want you to at least read the lyrics of. I didn't want you guys to actually hear this song. You'd just probably make fun of it because it's a, a girly artist. Uh, but um, my wife loves this person. That's why uh, I know about it. Otherwise, I would have no idea who this person is because I don't listen to her music a whole lot. But... Uh, yeah, you just you pipe down. Um, but this woman's name is Regina Spector. Anybody ever hear of her? She's kind of a artsy, artsy person. You know what I'm saying? Uh, she has a song that just came out. Um, it's called Laughing With, and here's the words. No one laughs at God in a hospital. No one laughs at God in a war. No one's laughing at God when they're starving or freezing or so very poor. No one laughs at God when the doctor calls after some routine tests. No one's laughing at God when it's gotten real late and their kid's not uh, back from the party yet. I feel like I should be singing it right now. But uh, No one laughs at God when their airplane starts to uncontrollably shake. No one's laughing at God when they see the one they love hand in hand with someone else and they hope that they're mistaken. No one laughs at God when the cops knock on their door and they say, we got some bad news, sir. No one's laughing at God when there's a famine or fire or flood. What is she saying? She's saying that suffering might be the only time when someone takes God seriously. Suffering might be the only time that someone stops mocking and laughing at God. 
You see, you, you know this. We live in a culture that laughs at God, that, that mocks Christians, that, that mocks God. But, but no one laughs at God when they're suffering. Now, sure, they might get angry at Him. They might reject Him. But no one's laughing at Him. You see, suffering forces someone to come face to face with the reality that is God. And, and they might reject Him, they might get angry at Him, but they're forced to deal with Him. And my hope for you guys is that I hope that it doesn't take a tragedy for you to take God seriously. For some of you guys, it will. For some of you, you're going to experience a tragedy. God's going to be trying to get your attention. And you're still going to walk away and reject Him. You're going to get mad at Him for allowing those things to happen to you. When the entire time, He's trying to get you to turn back to Him. I know one of the hardest places to suffer is when you are a believing Christian. Like Job was a person of faith in the Old Testament. A man of faith, a righteous man. And God still let him suffer. That's one of the hardest things to resolve in your mind. Maybe you are walking with God. Maybe you are pursuing God. And God's still letting you suffer. That's one of the mysteries of life that that I can't answer for you. But the question is, how are you going to handle suffering? Are you going to waste your suffering when God does bring it your way? John Piper says this. He says, will you waste your suffering? Will you use suffering as an excuse to reject God? Or will it lead to greater worship of what is really true? The only thing that is real. I heard a story this week about uh, an African warrior, this guy named Joseph. I'll read this story uh, to you. One day Joseph, who was walking along one of these hot, dirty African roads met someone who shared the gospel of Christ with him. Then and there he accepted Jesus as his Lord and Savior. The power of the Spirit began transforming his life. He was filled with such excitement and joy that the first thing he wanted to do was return to his own village and share the same good news with the members of his local tribe. Joseph began going from door to door telling everyone he met about the cross of Jesus and the salvation it offered, expecting to see their faces light up the way that he, his had. To his amazement, the villagers not only didn't care, they became violent. The men of the village seized him and held him to the ground while the women beat him with strands of barbed wire. He was dragged from the village and left to die alone in the bush. Joseph somehow managed to crawl to a water hole and there, after days of passing in and out of consciousness, found the strength to get up. He wondered about the hostile reception he had received from people he had known all his life. He decided he must have left something out or told the story wrong. So after rehearsing the message he had first heard, he decided to go back and share his faith once more. Joseph limped into the circle of huts and began to proclaim Jesus. He died for you so that you might find forgiveness and come to know the living God, he said. Again, he was grabbed by the men of the village and held while the women beat him, reopening wounds that had just begun to heal. Once more, they dragged him unconscious from the village and left him to die. To have survived the first beating was truly remarkable. To live through the second was a, was a miracle. 
Again, days later, Joseph awoke in the wilderness, bruised and scarred, and determined to go back. He returned to the small village, and this time they attacked him before he had a chance to open his mouth. As they flogged him for the third and probably the last time, he again spoke to them of Jesus Christ, the Lord. Before he passed out, the last thing he saw was that the women who were beating him began to weep. This time he awoke in his own bed. The ones who had so severely beaten him were now trying to save his life and nurse him back to health. The entire village had come to Christ. You never know how God might use your suffering. Your suffering may not be just for you. It might be for someone else. As you live your life and God brings suffering your way, it may not be just you that God is trying to shape and mold. But it might be that when everything is stripped away from your life, like Job, that when you cry out to God and you still glorify Him in the midst of that, that other people take notice and see God for who He really is. That they see that God is true. Everything around us is false. That as you live this life, that that is the one thing you're clinging to. And whatever kind of suffering you guys are dealing with right now in your own lives, I want to ask you the question, are you going to waste it? Will you waste a chance to magnify and to glorify God? I want you guys to go ahead and close in prayer at your tables. Just someone go ahead and lead out and just pray for those at your tables. Go ahead and pray. Then you're dismissed.